Volume Four, Chapter Ten of Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Jeanne in Washington, D.C. Cecilia: Memoirs of an Heiress by Fanny Burney. Volume Four, Chapter Ten: A Murmuring. Unable to relieve herself from this perplexity. Cecilia, to divert her chagrin, again visited Miss Belfield. She had then the pleasure to hear that her brother was much recovered, and had been able, the preceding day, to take an airing, which he had borne so well that Mr. Rupel had charged him to use the same exercise every morning. "'And will he?' said Cecilia. "'No, madam. I am sadly afraid not,' she answered, "'for coach hire is very expensive, and we are willing now to save all we can in order to help fitting him out for going abroad.' Cecilia then earnestly entreated her to accept some assistance, but she assured her she did not dare without the consent of her mother, which, however, she undertook to obtain. The next day, when Cecilia called to hear her success, Mrs. Belfield, who hitherto had kept out of sight, made her appearance. She found her, alike in person, manners, and conversation, a coarse and ordinary woman, not more unlike her son in talents and acquired accomplishments than dissimilar to her daughter in softness and natural delicacy the moment cecilia was seated she began without waiting for any ceremony or requiring any solicitation abruptly to talk of her affairs and repiningly to relate her misfortunes i find madam she said you have been so kind as to visit my daughter henny a great many times but as I have no time for company, I have always kept out of the way, having other things to do than sit still to talk. I have had a sad time of it here, ma'am, with my poor son's illness, having no conveniences about me, and much ado to make him mind me, for he's all for having his own way, poor dear soul, and I'm sure I don't know who would contradict him, for it's what I never had the heart to do. But then, ma'am, what is to come of it? You see how bad things go, for though I have got a very good income, it won't do for everything, and if it was as much again, I should want to save it all now, for here my poor son, you see, is reduced all in a minute, as one may say, from being one of the first gentlemen in the town, to a mere poor object, without a farthing in the world. He is, however, I hope now much better in his health, said Cecilia. Yes, madam, thank heaven, for if he was worse, those might tell of it that would, for I am sure I should never live to hear of it. He has been the best son in the world, madam, and used to nothing but the best company, for I spared neither pains nor cost to bring him up genteelly, and I believe there's not a nobleman in the land that looks more the gentleman. However, there's come no good of it, for though his acquaintances were all among the first quality, he never received the value of a penny from the best of them, so I have no great need to be proud, but I meant for the best, though I have often enough wished I had not meddled in the matter but left him to be brought up in the shop as his father was before him. His present plan, however, said Cecilia, will, I hope, make you ample amends both for your sufferings and your tenderness. What, madam, when he's going to leave me and settle in foreign parts? If you was a mother yourself, madam, you would not think that such good amends. Settle, said Cecilia. No, he only goes for a year or two. That's more than I could say, madam, or anybody else and nobody knows what may happen in that time. And how shall I keep myself up when he's beyond seas, I am sure I don't know, for he has always been the pride of my life, and every penny I saved for him I thought to have been paid in pounds. 
you will still have your daughter and she seems so amiable that i am sure you can want no consolation she will not endeavour to give you but what is a daughter madam to such a son as mine a son that i have thought to have seen living like a prince and sending his own coach for me to dine with him and now he's going to be taken away from me and nobody knows if i shall live till he comes back but i may think myself for if I had but been content to see him brought up in the shop, yet all the world would have cried shame upon it. For when he was quite a child in arms, the people used all to say he was born to be a gentleman, and would live to make many a fine lady's heart ache. If he can but make your heart easy, said Cecilia, smiling, he will not grieve that the fine lady should escape the prophecy. Oh, ma'am, I don't mean by that to say he has been over gay among the ladies, for it's a thing I never heard of him, and I dare say if any lady was to take a fancy to him, she'd find there was not a modester young man in the world. But you must needs think what a hardship it is to me to have him turn out so unlucky, after all I have done for him, when I thought to have seen him at the top of the tree, as one may say. He will yet, I hope, said Cecilia, make you rejoice in all your kindness to him, his health is already returning, and his affairs were again a more prosperous aspect. But do you suppose, ma'am, that having him sent two or three hundred miles away from me, with some young master to take care of, is the way to make up to me what I have gone through for him? Why, I used to deny myself everything in the world in order to save money to buy him smart clothes, and let him go to the opera and Ranelagh and such sort of places that he might keep himself in fortune's way. And now you see the end of it. Here he is, in a little shabby room up two pairs of stairs, with not one of the great folks coming near him, to see if he's so much as dead or alive. I do not wonder, said Cecilia, that you resent their showing so little gratitude for the pleasure and entertainment they have formerly received from him. But comfort yourself that it will at least secure you from any similar disappointment, as Mr. Belfield will in future be guaranteed from forming such precarious expectations. But what good will that do me, madam, for all the money he has been throwing after them all this while? Do you think I would have scraped it up for him and gone without everything in the world to see it all end in this manner? Why, he might as well have been brought up the commonest journeyman, for any comfort I shall have of him at this rate, and suppose he should be drowned in going beyond seas, what am I to do then? You must not, said Cecilia, indulge such fears. I doubt not but your son will return well and return all that you wish. Nobody knows that, ma'am, and the only way to be certain is for him not to go at all, and I'm surprised, ma'am, you can wish him to make such a journey to nobody knows where, with nothing but a young master that he must as good as teach his ABC all the way they go. Certainly, said Cecilia, amazed at this accusation, I should not wish him to go abroad, if anything more eligible could be, done by his remaining in England, but as no prospect of that sort seems before him, you must endeavour to reconcile yourself to parting with him. Yes, but how am I to do that, when I don't know if ever I shall see him again? Who could have thought of his living so among the great folks, and then coming to want? I'm sure I thought they'd have provided for him like a son of their own, for he used to go about to all the public places as they did themselves. Day after day I used to be counting, for when he would come to tell me he'd got a place at court, or something of that sort, for I never could tell what it would be. And then the next news I heard was that he was shut up in this poor bit of place, with nobody troubling their heads about him. 
However, I'll never be persuaded, but he might have done better, if he would but have spoke a good word for himself, or else have let me done it for him, instead of which he never would so much as let me see any of his grand friends, though I would not have made the least scruple in the world to have asked them for anything he had a mind to. Cecilia again endeavoured to give her comfort, but finding her only satisfaction was to express her discontent, she arose to take leave but, turning first to Miss Belfield, contrived to make a private enquiry whether she might repeat her offer of assistance. A downcast and dejected look answering in the affirmative, she put into her hand a ten-pound bank-note, and wishing them good morning, hurried out of the room. Miss Belfield was running after her, but stopped by her mother, who called out, "'What is it? How much is it? Let me look at it!' and then, following Cecilia herself, she thanked her aloud all the way downstairs for her genteelness, assuring her she would not fail making it known to her son. Cecilia, at this declaration, turned back, and exhorted her by no means to mention it, after which she got into her chair and returned home, pitying Miss Belfield for the unjust partiality shown to her brother, and excusing the proud shame he had manifested of his relations, from the vulgarity and selfishness of her who was at the head of them. Almost a fortnight had now elapsed since her explanation with young Deville, yet not once had he been in Portman Square, though in the fortnight which had preceded, scarce a day had passed which had not afforded him some pretense for calling there. At length a note arrived from Mrs. Delville. It contained the most flattering reproaches for her long absence, and a pressing invitation that she would dine and spend the next day with her. Cecilia, who had merely denied herself the pleasure of this visit from an apprehension of seeming too desirous of keeping up the connection, now, from the same sense of propriety, determined upon making it, wishing equally to avoid all appearances of consciousness, either by seeking or avoiding the intimacy of the family. Not a little was her anxiety to know in what manner young Delville would receive her, whether he would be grave or gay, agitated as during their last conversation, or easy as in the meetings which had preceded it. She found Mrs. Delville, however, alone, and, extremely kind to her, yet much surprised and half displeased, that she had so long been absent. Cecilia, though somewhat distressed what excuses to offer, was happy to find herself so highly in favor, and not very reluctant to promise more frequent visits in future. They were then summoned to dinner, but still no young Delville was visible. They were joined only by his father, and she found that no one else was expected. Her astonishment now was greater than ever, and she could account by no possible conjecture for a conduct so extraordinary. Hitherto, whenever she had visited in St. James Square by appointment, the air with which she had received her constantly announced that he had impatiently waited her arrival. He had given up other engagement to stay with her, he had openly expressed his hopes that she would never be long absent, and seemed to take a pleasure in her society to which every other was inferior. And now how striking the difference! He forbore all visits at the house where she resided, he even flew from his own when he knew she was approaching it. Nor was this the only vexation of which this day was productive. Mr. Delville, when the servants were withdrawn after dinner, expressed some concern that he had been called from her during their past conversation, and added that he would take the present opportunity to talk with her upon some matters of importance. 
He then began the usual parading prelude, which, upon all occasions, he thought necessary, in order to enhance the value of his interposition, remind her of her inferiority, and impress her with a deeper sense of the honor which his guardianship conferred upon her, after which he proceeded to make a formal enquiry whether she had positively dismissed Sir Robert Floyer. She assured him she had. I understood my lord Elnoff, said he, that you had totally discouraged the addresses of his son. Yes, sir, answered Cecilia, for I never mean to receive them. Have you, then, any other engagement? No, sir, cried she, coloring between shame and displeasure, none at all. This is a very extraordinary circumstance, replied he, the son of an earl to be rejected by a young woman of no family, and yet no reason assigned for it. This contemptuous speech so cruelly shocked Cecilia, that though he continued to harangue her for a great part of the afternoon, she only answered him when compelled by some question, and was so evidently discomposed, that Mrs. Deville, who perceived her uneasiness with much concern, redoubled her civilities and caresses, and used every method in her power to oblige and enliven her. Cecilia was not ungrateful for her care, and showed her sense of it by added respect and attention, but her mind was disturbed, and she quitted the house as soon as she was able. Mr. Delville's speech, from her previous knowledge of the extreme haughtiness of his character, would not have occasioned her the smallest emotion, had it merely related to him or to herself. But as it concerned Lord Arnoff, she regarded it also concerning his son, and she found that, far from trying to promote the union Mr. Monckton had told her he had planned, he did not seem even to think of it, but on the contrary proposed and seconded with all his interest another alliance. This, added to the behavior of young Deville, made her suspect that some engagement was an agitation on his own part, and that while she thought him so sedulous only to avoid her, he was simply occupied in seeking another. This painful suggestion, which everything seemed to confirm, again overset all her schemes, and destroyed all her visionary happiness. Yet how to reconcile it with what had passed at their last meeting she knew not. She had then every reason to believe that his heart was in her power, and that courage, or an opportunity more seasonable, was all he wanted to make known his devotion to her. Why then shun if he loved her? Why, if he loved her not, seem so perturbed at the explanation of her independence? A very little time, however, she hoped would unravel this mystery. In two days the entertainment which Mr. Harrel had planned, to deceive the world by an appearance of affluence to which he had lost all title, was to take place. Young Deville, in common with every other person who had ever been seen at the house, had early received an invitation, which he had readily promised to accept some time before the conversation that seemed the period of their acquaintance had passed. Should he, after being so long engaged, fail to keep his appointment, she could no longer have any doubt of the justice of her conjecture. Should he, on the contrary, again appear, from his behavior and his looks, she might perhaps be able to gather why he had so long been absent. End of chapter 10 Recording by Jeanne in Washington, D.C.